We are in the last week of a series called Playlist, where we have been looking through the Psalms together. We've been reading through the Psalms for four weeks. There's 150 of them. We're not reading all 150, uh, but we are reading four. We've been looking at some of the most popular and or some of my favorite Psalms. One of the benefits of, of being the preacher, you get to pick the ones you want to talk about. And, uh, and so we've been looking at those four. And the reason the series is called Playlist is because the Psalms were originally written as songs. They were written as lyrics to songs. And so way back when, thousands of years ago, 1500 would be a fair assessment to kind of when they would come in together as a church, early Christians would come together and they would sing these psalms together. And we haven't been doing that, but we have been reading them together to learn a little bit more about God, uh, learn a lot more about ourselves. And today is the last part of that, the last week of, of psalms. And each week in the series, I've told you that out of 150 psalms, there are three styles of psalms, right? The first kind we've said each week is a psalm that is a hymn, psalms that are hymns. These are general in nature. Um, these are about God and how good he is, his creation, just general uh, psalms, positive psalms about, about God. And then the second kind of psalm is what we're calling psalms of lament. And there are more psalms of lament in psalms than any other type or style. These are the sad, brokenhearted, doubtful, angry, frustrated psalms. We call them the Taylor Swift psalms. And then the third type of psalm is what we call psalms of thanksgiving. And these are psalms specifically about a time when God came through, uh, did something amazing, something miraculous, something good, and we, and the author was specifically talking about that, which, side note, is a great reason, by the way, for you to keep some type of record, a journal. I know some of you guys, you don't journal, you don't, you know, I'm not talking about keeping a diary. I don't know how you want to do it. Use Siri, talk in your phone, whatever, but it's really powerful to keep a record of the ways that God moves and does amazing things in your life, because you'll forget, you will. And, and so, but when you have a record of it, you can just be like, wow, man, God is so good. That's what Psalms of Thanksgiving are. And the reason that the book of Psalms resonates with us, connects with us so much, the reason that no one has ever claimed that the book of Psalms is irrelevant, the reason no one's ever claimed that it's outdated or doesn't matter is because when we read Psalms, we go, yeah, me too. I feel that way. Life is up and down, it's crazy, it's emotional. Following Jesus is emotional. Being human is emotional. Being a parent is emotional. Come on, parents, it's, it's emotional, right? Being married is emotional. So we have all these emotions, and David had those, and the authors of the Psalms had it, and it gives us permission that we don't have to come to Jesus always in a good mood. We don't have to come to Jesus always full of faith. We just come to him. However we are, wherever we are, we come to him, and he can handle it. And so that's why we love uh, the book of Psalms so much. Now, today, for this last week, we're going to look at Psalm 23. The first week we did Psalm 139. The second week we did Psalm 51. Last week we did Psalm, I can't remember, but we did one of those. I just went blank. Uh, go listen to the podcast. I'd love for you to catch up with those. But today we're going to be looking at Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is, without a doubt, the most famous psalm of all the psalms. It's not only just a famous psalm, it is the most famous chapter in the entire Old Testament. It could even be the most famous chapter in the entire Bible. That could be debated, but definitely in the Old Testament, Psalm 23. And I would be willing to bet that even if you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're not a religious person, you are familiar with Psalm 23 because you've been to a funeral or a memorial service or a graveside or something where this was read or, or this was quoted. It is the most quoted 
the most written about, the most, most preached about psalm, and it's not even close. Now, it's, it's the most popular and the biggest for, for two main reasons. There are more, but two of the biggest reasons. And the first reason is that it's only six verses. Who doesn't like that, right? So you can just, you get credit for reading it, and you know, it was only six verses. So there you go. Some of you could even memorize it. It's only six verses. You can say, I memorized a whole chapter of the Bible. Uh, you could do that. Um, and so that's great. But really the main reason that it is the most uh, popular by, by far is because it describes a life of contentment, peace, strength, and comfort. And who doesn't want a life like that? How many people would like a life with a little more peace, contentment, strength, comfort? Anybody? Yeah, absolutely. And so the big idea for our sermon today is the idea of following the idea of following. Let me ask you this question. How many people have ever gotten out your phone and you, you went to the, uh, the, the, the map app and you put in an address and you, you, you hit start and you followed the directions and you're getting closer and then finally Siri or whatever your app you're using is says, arrived at destination, but you look around and you're in the middle of a field somewhere. Has that ever happened to anybody? Let me see your hand. Yeah. Maybe you're not in a field somewhere, but you're definitely not where you were trying to go, right? Well, this is a, just an example, another example of something that we know is true in life, whether we think about it or not. And the truth is that where you end up lets you know what directions you followed. Where you end up lets you know the directions you followed. And you will never, hear me, you'll never follow the wrong directions and end up in the right place. That will never happen. Wrong destination means wrong directions. Wrong directions means wrong destination. And so this idea today in Psalm 23 is going to be this idea of following. Psalm 23 is going to describe what life is like for someone who follows, who follows Jesus. But everything we read in Psalm 23 is dependent or contingent on the very first part of the very first verse, the first five words. So we're going to read the whole chapter together today, but none of it matters if you don't have the first five words. And so I thought maybe the best way that we could start is let's just read this very first line of the first verse, the first five words together. You're very familiar with it. It's Psalm 23 verse 1. It's on your sermon guide. This is what it says. It says, the Lord is my what? Shepherd. shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, we're going to talk for the rest of our time together about what life looks like for somebody who can say these words and mean these words that the Lord is my shepherd. Spoiler alert, contentment, peace, strength. All these things are going to come to people who can say the Lord is my shepherd. But if the Lord is not your shepherd, everything else we read is not true. It's not true, okay? But if the Lord is your shepherd, then everything we're going to read is true and is available, uh, is available to us, all right? So, so that's kind of just giving you a heads up of where we're going today. But before we finish reading Psalm 23, I want to read you something else from the New Testament, from John chapter 10. Now, it's not on your sermon guide. I just want to read it to you, but it's in John chapter 10. And, uh, and it's Jesus talking using the same language that David uses in Psalm 23. So David in Psalm 23 is going to tell us 
uh, it says to us that when the Lord is your shepherd, these things happen. Well, Jesus is going to say kind of a very similar thing to us, but he's going to take it a little step further in John chapter 10. And, um, and so I'm going to start reading at verse 3 in John chapter 10. Like I said, it's not on your sermon. I'm just going to read it to you. But here's what it says. Verse 3, okay? Jesus is talking, and it says... The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. And here's the part where we really want to start. He calls his own sheep, talking about Jesus. He calls his own sheep by name. Heads up, you are the sheep in this story, okay? You're a sheep. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And after he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, talking about Jesus, walking ahead of you. And they follow him, Jesus, because they, you, Know his voice. So Jesus is talking about himself, and he's talking about how he is the shepherd. Now, the challenge for us today is no one in this room is a shepherd. Your dad probably wasn't a shepherd. Your granddad probably wasn't a shepherd. We're not super familiar with the idea of of a shepherd. The people who were listening to this would have, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. But nobody in here is a shepherd. And so only all I know about shepherds is what I saw in the movie Babe. That's it. That's, all I, that's the only familiarity I have with shepherds, right? And, uh, and so there's a little challenge. For us, if Jesus was saying this to us in our day, he may would say something like, I'm uh, uh, the, the coach or uh, something like that. We would go, oh, yeah, I know what that's, I know what that's like in, in a certain way. But Jesus uses these words, and he says he's a shepherd. Now, we don't know a lot about shepherds, but he tells us one characteristic of a shepherd. Jesus says that a shepherd gets out in front of his sheep, and he calls them, and he leads them, and they follow him. So that's one characteristic. Whether we know anything about shepherds or not, we just got one characteristic, that a shepherd goes out in front, calls his sheep, and they follow him. Now, here's why that's important. Because... The two kind of main professions or ideas of people who move animals from one place to another is a shepherd and a cattle driver. And Jesus does not say, I am the great cattle driver. He says, I am the shepherd. Now, I don't know a lot about cattle driving either. Maybe some of you guys do. I'm not familiar exactly with that. Um, But I do know that cattle drivers go behind the cattle and use violence and, and, and fear to scare them into moving forward. But Jesus did not say, I'm the great cattle driver, because Jesus does not stand behind us and use fear to motivate us to move forward. Now, you may have had somebody tell you at some point in your life that that is what God does, but let me tell you the truth. That's not what God does. If you would describe your relationship with God as feeling more pushed than led, you're probably not following Jesus. It's probably religion. It's, it's some type of fear-based uh, religious system or moral obligation that if you don't, then, you know, somebody's going to whip you or shoot a gun at you or yell at you or whatever it is. That is not what Jesus said he does. Look at what he says. He says, I get out in front of my sheep and I lead them and I call out to them and they follow me because they know my voice. So following Jesus, according to Jesus, feels like being led, like something is calling us forward. Something is is calling out to us, leading us where we are. And and so many of you, as you tell your story and 
describe your walk with Christ and share your hope story. That's the way you describe it. Whether that's the language you use or not, that's the way you describe it. I don't know what it is. If you would have told me three years ago, I'd be sitting here. No, like you laugh about it, but there was something calling you forward, something pulling you forward, and it was the Holy Spirit. It was Jesus leading you. And maybe your whole life you thought Jesus was pushing you, but then you met him, the shepherd, and he began to call you and lead you. And so that is a difference. And so if you're in the room today and you would say, I don't feel led, I feel pushed. I don't feel called, I feel uh, afraid, or then you may not be following Jesus. But let's keep going. All right, so Jesus tells us that. Now let's skip down um, to verse 10 in John 10. Again, I'm just going to read it to you. All right. It says this, Jesus says, the thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. They, they, the hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, I know my own sheep, and they know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. So John 10, 10 through 14, Jesus gives us three people that we can follow, all of us. Three people we can follow. The first person he gives us is the good shepherd. That's Jesus. He says, I am the good shepherd, And then he tells us that anybody who uh, follows the good shepherd, follows Jesus, Jesus, the good shepherd, gives them a rich and satisfying life. People who follow Jesus, the good shepherd, have a rich and satisfying life. Now, today we're talking about following, and we're going to be forced to answer the question, who am I following? What am I following? So, let's start here. If you would say today... I don't feel like I have a rich and satisfying life. And if we know that destination reveals direction, if you don't like your destination, if you would say, you know what, I am not at, I did not arrive at rich and satisfying life. Have you followed the directions to get you to a rich and satisfying life? Does that make sense to everybody? All right. Jesus said, follow good shepherd, follow the directions of good shepherd, destination, rich and satisfying life. So if you're here today and you say, Jason, I don't feel like or I don't believe I have a rich and satisfying life, it's worth asking the question, are you following Jesus? Okay, but then he gives us a second, a second person we can follow. He says, you can follow the thief. And in this example or story that is teaching, the thief specifically means the devil. So Jesus says, you can follow the good shepherd, that's me. You can follow the thief, that's the devil. Now today, if I was to say to you, some of you are following the devil, you'd be like, I'm not following the devil. That sounds a little too harsh, a little too over the top. But here's what Jesus is saying. Who, when you hear that you could have a rich and satisfying life, would say, I don't want that? Nobody. So everybody at some point says, well, if Jesus gives us a rich and satisfying life, that's what I want. But the thief shows up, according to Jesus in John 10, and convinces the sheep to leave the good shepherd, promising them something else that, 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 that is better than 
Jesus is rich and satisfying life. And so every day we fall for these lies that the thief says, no, 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 come with me over here. I'm a better shepherd. I'll lead you to something better. We're like, okay, yeah, he's probably right. And so we follow him, but the Bible tells us that once we get away, the thief begins the process of stealing, killing, and destroying our life. It does not go well for the sheep who leave the good shepherd. The thief steals, kills, and destroys our lives. So, we're answering the question today, who am I following? Based on my destination, what directions did I use? If you would be honest enough with yourself to say, I feel as if I'm destroying my life. I feel like my marriage is being destroyed. I feel like my relationship with my kids is being destroyed. I feel like my health is being destroyed. My career is being destroyed. My, my, my mental resolve is being destroyed. My confidence is being destroyed. If you would say that, maybe, maybe you're following or you made a decision at some point to follow the thief. You bought into this idea that something else other than Jesus could give you a rich and satisfying life. Does that make sense? Okay, so then he gives us one more person. I promise we'll get to Psalm 23 in a second. So he gives us one more person that we can follow. Number one, we can follow the good shepherd. Number two, we can follow the thief. But the third thing or person that we can follow is a hired hand. Well, what's a hired hand? Well, Matthew, in his hope story, told us what a hired hand is when he says you can't worship a human being. A hired hand is not a bad person. A hired hand is not the devil. A hired hand could be a great leader. It could be a great husband, spouse, friend, pastor. But a hired hand is anybody that we choose to follow other than Jesus. Anybody else that we put our hope and our trust in other than Jesus, that would be a hired hand. A hired hand could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend where you would say, you know what, I'm going to attach myself to them because they're going to get me where I want to try to go. They're going to make me feel the way that I really want to feel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to attach it to my, my spouse. Some of us in here, we follow our children. You say, I don't follow my kids. I'm the parent. No, but, but you would say the most satisfying thing in my life is my children because you're following your children, a career, uh, an amount of money, whatever it is. It's, it's a hired hand. Specifically, though, it's going to be in relationships. A hired hand could even be a spiritual leader. It could even be a spiritual leader where you say like, all your hope or, or most of your hope is in a person. Here's the thing about hired hands. What did Jesus say about hired hands? Hired hand, he said hired hands always eventually leave. Hired hands always eventually let you down. Hired hands always eventually disappoint you. And that, that's across the board. Because the difference between a hired hand and the shepherd is the shepherd lays down his life. The hired hand was never meant to save you. And the difference between a hired hand and Jesus is that Jesus will never disappoint you. Jesus will never let you down. So even as your pastor, please hear what, what I'm saying to you. I want to lead you well. I want to be the best pastor I can be, the best spiritual leader I can be. I want to help you grow spiritually as best I can. But if you put your hope in me, believe me when I tell you I will disappoint you and I will let you down at some point. Only Jesus will not let you down. And so Jesus said, you can follow a hired hand if you want to. And it can go good for a while. 
it can feel like something else. Another relationship is giving you that rich and satisfying life that you want, but something will happen and your world will come crashing down because you'll realize the person you put all your hope in wasn't Jesus. And so if we're trying to answer the question today, who am I following? And could we step back and say, my whole world fell apart when this person did this thing. Or we would step back and say that I find my meaning and significance and my self-worth based on what this person thinks about me or what this person accomplishes, how good my kids are at sports, how much my wife brags on me or how much my husband takes care of me or the house we live in. If that is where something inside of me finds all of my joy and satisfaction, maybe I'm following a hired hand. I can follow a hired hand, I can follow the thief, or I can follow the good shepherd, Jesus, who gives us a rich and satisfying life. Now, we're going to go back to Psalm 23, because David describes to us what a rich and satisfying life looks like. Jesus said, those who follow me will have a rich and satisfying life. And David's going to tell us exactly what a rich and satisfying life looks like. Spoiler alert, rich and satisfying doesn't mean lots of money, never unhappy. Because how many people in here are following Jesus and you could say, I have realized that following Jesus does not guarantee lots of money and happiness every day. Anybody could say that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right? So, and so David's going to tell us what a rich and satisfying life looks like. Psalm 23, we'll pick back up with verse 1. And this is what it says. Oh, by the way, I'm going to read this out of the New King James today, which I normally read out of New Living. I love the New Living. New Living is, is, my, is my boy. But um, I, there are some times when a part of the Bible is so familiar in the old King James language that it's actually more confusing to not read it in the King James. And so I'm going to, everybody in the room today, you heard this or learned this or whatever in King James. So we're going New King James, okay? We're not going King James. I'm not going to do that to you, but we're going to go New King James today, okay? Here we go. It says, one through three, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. First three verses, kind of broken up into three sections, these six verses are. So David begins to describe, if the Lord is your shepherd, he begins to describe what that feels like in your life. And if you have your sermon guide, you can write this down. Number one, God calms me when life is crazy. God calms me when life is crazy. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but these verses stack up on each other. And I just want to show this to you real quick. We ain't got time to like hang there forever, but I just want to show this to you. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I'll just use the New Living because I have it right here. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. That's contentment. Well, you cannot be content if the Lord is not your shepherd because you will be convinced there's something else you need, something else you have to accomplish, something else you got to go do. If the Lord is your shepherd, then you can say, I, I have contentment or I'm fighting for contentment. I have all that I need. But you can only say that if the Lord is your shepherd. Next, he says, he lets me rest. You can only rest if you believe you have all that you need. If you don't believe you have all that you need, you can't rest because there's something else to do, something else to be done, something else to attain. 
So, so if the Lord is your shepherd, you have contentment. If you have contentment, you can rest, keep going. He leads me beside still waters or peaceful streams, peace. You can only have peace if you know how to rest. You can only rest if you have contentment. You can only have contentment if the Lord is your shepherd. Are you seeing this? Here we go. He renews my strength, strength being renewed. He guides me along paths. He gives me direction. All of these build up on one another. You say, I want more peace in my life. Well, I agree. I do too. Peace comes when you're able to rest. Rest comes when you're able to have contentment. How do you get contentment? You follow Jesus, who is your shepherd. God calms me when life is crazy. I can't think of a more attractive quality in a person in the world that we live in than calm. We live in an outrage era. I mean, we, everybody's mad about something. I, I, like it's, there, there's just people, we're losing our minds, right? All of us, we're losing our minds. And what could be more attractive in a culture where everyone's losing their mind and outraged about everything than calm? Can, can I give you an example? And this is going to sound so silly to you, but I'll just go ahead and give it to you. So the Isaacs, the last couple of weeks in the Isaacs household, we've been, we've been battling it a little bit. Our life feels like a country song right now because we, like, so like three weeks ago, my transmission went out on my car, right? And then, um, and then uh, we, we finally settled up our taxes. We procrastinated a little bit on our taxes. So we owed a decent amount of money on our taxes, and then, and then the dishwasher broke at the house, and then the dryer's not working. And to make it worse, this morning I poured a bowl of cereal and went to the refrigerator, and there was no milk, which was the cherry on top of everything that I just described. But in all seriousness, those four things happened. Transmission broke, owe money on taxes, that's not anybody's fault, it's life. Dishwasher breaks, that's life. Dryer's not working, that's life. Now here's why I'm telling you that, not because I'm super spiritual bragging on you, but here's why I'm telling you that. Thousands of dollars worth of things that have to be done. And when I sit down and do the math and I, and I take my pencil and I'm adding up all the numbers, the math doesn't add up, okay? But we're okay. Like a broken dishwasher ain't gonna take us out. You understand what I'm saying? We're gonna be all right. And, and when I'm trying to pull that dishwasher out of the cabinet to look at the repair and it's stuck on the water line, I wanna punch a hole in the drywall. I'm not saying I'm always calm, but I'm saying in my soul, because our hope is in Jesus Christ, like it is so frustrating and aggravating and, and, and there's so many things that it is. But in our hearts, as frustrating as it is, it's okay. And so I don't know what you're facing in your life or what you're going through and, and what emotions you're feeling because of frustrations, what's happening. But when we have Jesus and when we follow Jesus, we can be calm and know that it's going to be okay. Because this, this, this earth, this world is not our final destination. It's not our hope. Our trust is not in that. And yeah, it's just a car transmission and we got it fixed and it's just a dryer. And just right. These are not things like some of you are battling things way more serious than that. I understand that. I'm just telling you in my life, the last two or three weeks, we've been able to go, okay, man, this stinks, but okay, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. So God calms me when life is, uh, is crazy. If I have Jesus, I can be content, I can rest, I can have peace, I can have my strength renewed, I can have direction for 
my life. Does that make sense to everybody? Let's read the next part. It's just one verse, verse 4. He says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Write this down, number two. When the Lord is my shepherd, God comforts me when life is painful. And life will be painful. You notice what it says there? It says, it says when, in the New Living, it says even when I walk. It doesn't say if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It says when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus said it to us himself. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. If you're breathing, you will have some trouble. The only promise that we have, we have two promises Jesus gives us about trouble. As long as we're on the earth, we'll have it. When we're with Jesus, we won't have it anymore. Those are the two promises that we have. And so there will be seasons in our life when we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Putting your hope in Jesus does not exempt you from the valley of the shadow of death because it didn't exempt Jesus. And we're trying to be like Jesus. So we're going to go through seasons like that. But he also says, true statement, I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Second true statement, I will fear no evil. Both statements can be true. I could be facing the most terrifying uh, moments of my life, but it doesn't mean I have to be afraid. And notice what else he says. He says, for you are with me. The first couple of verses, you know, Jesus was pulling the strings. He lays me down, he guides, whatever. Now he's walking with me. In another psalm, David said he's close to the brokenhearted. He comforts those whose spirits are crushed. Going through the valley of the shadow of death is not evidence that somehow you have separated from God. God wants to use those moments walking through the valley of the shadow of death for you to feel closer to him than you've ever felt him before. And so David says, when the Lord is my shepherd, I will still walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you are walking that road right now. You are. Some of you just got out of it, and you're like, man, I hope he gives me a little bit of a break for a little bit. Some of you are like, no, 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 we're good, but you'll call me Thursday because there's going to be a new season that starts in your life. And, and David says, when the Lord is my shepherd, I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will not fear evil, and I will fill you close beside me. Now, if the Lord is not your shepherd, you have every reason to fear. If the Lord is not your shepherd, you need to be freaking out about whatever it is that you're going through. You're not afraid enough, honestly, if the Lord is not your shepherd. But if he is, he's with you. And he comforts you when life is painful. But let me give you one more. I'm running out of time. I spent a little too much time on the old uh, John 10 shepherd thing. Here we go. Number three. This is the last part, verses five and six. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Number three, write this down. God gives me confidence when my future feels uncertain. When, when the Lord is my shepherd, I can have confidence even when the future feels uncertain. 
Look at what he said. He said, surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. So in the first three verses, I mean, it's like those are the good days, the good weeks, the good months. Man, I've got peace. I've got rest. I'm, I'm lying down. I've got strength. I feel direction for my life. Those are the good days. Then there are the bad seasons when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's so day to day. It's so, right? But then in verses five and six, he says, let's zoom out for just a moment. Let's don't talk day to day. Like today was good. Today was bad. Okay. Let's zoom out for a second. And no matter how good today was or no matter how bad today was, here's what I want you to know. That for all the days of your life, every single one of them, the worst days and the best days, if the Lord is your shepherd for all the days of your life, goodness and mercy will follow you. I read this week in a commentary that uh, David, who was an amazing shepherd, that who wrote this, that they said that they that some some theologians, historians believe that goodness and mercy was referencing sheepdogs. I had to do a little research because I've only seen Babe, like I said. So um, sheepdogs. So the shepherds up in front, but the sheepdogs were in the back, and the sheepdogs would protect from anybody coming up on the backside. And so the, this guy that I read, which I'm not saying this is true, but it was cool. He said that goodness and mercy were the sheepdogs. It was the names of the dogs. Goodness and mercy. And so maybe, I know there's some dog lovers in the room, but maybe like if you need a reminder that your future is certain even when life feels uncertain, every time you walk into your house and they're barking at you, well, just call them goodness and mercy. And, and like you can just be reminded that even when life feels uncertain, even when my future feels uncertain, even when I'm scared of the afterlife, even when I'm scared of death, when I don't know what's going to happen, my future is certain. He said, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the presence of the Lord. How long? Forever. If God is my shepherd, I don't have to worry about 10,000 years from now, 50,000 years from now. I don't have to worry about tomorrow or today, because no matter what life is like, I'm following the shepherd. He leads me. And goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will be in the presence of the Lord forever. I don't have to doubt that. I don't have to doubt that. So the question that we've been forced to answer today is, who am I following? Well, Jason, how do I know who I'm following? Well, we look at, our, at where we are, because where we are lets us know what we followed to get there. Do you feel calm in the middle of a crazy life? Do you feel comforted in the middle of painful moments? Do you feel confident about your future? If you do, probably following the good shepherd. If you don't, if you say, Jason, I don't have an ounce of peace in my life right now. I don't, I, God, it feels like God's a million miles away from me, and I don't, I, I'm not confident in my future forever. I'm not confident about 10,000 years from now. I can't confidently say that my future is good. If you're not, it could be possible that you're following the thief or your hope is in someone else that's not Jesus, because Jesus said, if you follow me, the good shepherd, 
I will give you a rich and satisfying life. And if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. You'll have rest, peace, strength, direction, comfort, confidence in your life. Let's pray.